All right, so apologetics, this is something that has, honestly, if you've been a Christian for a while, it's going to be a part of your life at some level. Uh, Pastor Sean and I have, he's kind of been my dude that's, that's been next to me through a lot of our growing and sharpening one another, and sometimes it feels like it's, we're, it, we're duller afterwards sometimes, but there's other times where it's, it's, it's been really, really awesome to be able to um, experience some stuff. One of the things I've experienced with Sean is going out into the mall and just praying for people. There was a stint in our lives where we were, every Thursday we'd go to the mall, especially during the holiday season, and uh, just try and share the gospel with anybody the Lord would like bring, you know, like put on our hearts as we're walking through the mall. And I remember one time we walked up to one of those center uh, aisle kiosks, you know, like around the food court, and Sean was like, I, f- I feel like we're supposed to talk to this guy. So we go up and talk to the guy, and he was selling tens units. And so Sean's like, starts a conversation and was like, hey, do you have a little, a couple minutes to be able to chat at all? And the guy said, well, do you have a couple minutes to try out a TENS unit? And so he goes, sure. So there we are, me and Sean, both hooked up like our forearms to these TENS units where um, it's, it's the, if you don't know what that is, it's like send some electrical pulses through your muscles and it's um, supposed to do good stuff. I don't know the science behind it, but we're locked in now. We're there. <laughs> we can't just like walk away. And so... Um, Sean starts, it's, it's his turn. We usually go every other, so it's his turn to start a conversation. I'll just kind of back up, and we're, we're hooked up there. And Sean starts the conversation to, um, right off the bat to a spiritual tone, and uh, the guy asks what Sean believes, and Sean says he believes in Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. And the guy says, you believe in Jesus? Then you, you believe in the Easter Bunny too and, and Santa Claus and all that, huh? And I offered no help. I was laughing. I started laughing. <laughs> it was just, it was one of those moments that like sticks out in our brain. Um, but I even asked Sean yesterday, I was like, I asked him permission to share the story. And he's like, absolutely. And I was like, do you remember his name? And Sean rattled his name off. Like we had prayed for that guy for years, years after that interaction with him. And obviously at that point he wasn't teachable. And so we didn't get into this big, long drawn out thing, nor did we buy any TENS units at that moment. Uh, but it is one of those moments that sticks out in, our, in, in, our, in my mind of times where you, you do need to be able to come up and defend your faith at some level. And the truth is, like, we don't need to defend Jesus. Like, he, Jesus doesn't need a lawyer. But our faith does need a defense at some level. Because you, you see faith that's tested in Scripture time and time again. Abraham's faith was tested. Peter's faith was tested. Paul's faith was tested many, many times. So we do need to learn how to defend our, our faith. But Jesus himself needs no defense. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And I think it's, it's our responsibility to dive into a relationship with him so much so that we can hear from him in moments where there's big questions. We can hear from him in, in moments where we're able to articulate why we believe what we believe. And so that's my heart and my prayer for tonight is that by the end of tonight, you'll start to think around um, interactions with be it family members, uh, people that you have favor with in, in your you know, workplace, uh, just friends, or even strangers where, you know, I, I kind of maybe have a little bit bigger of a clue on how to even just share my own story in regards to what somebody else believes. And so that's my heart and my prayer tonight is that we do that. The definition of apologetics is a reasoned argument or writing in justification of something, typically a theory of religious doctrine. And to make that Christ-centered, you could say it's a reasoned argument in justification of salvation through Jesus alone, through faith in him. 
That's what we're going for today. But the one thing I want to make clear is our goal in this lesson is not to prove anybody else wrong. That should not be why we're talking to somebody, is to prove them wrong. We're talking to them to show that Jesus is right. For them to come to that conclusion that Jesus is the correct thing, is the, is the right answer, is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we're talking with somebody, before we even get into the content for tonight, I want us to think about it this way. What, what the goal is here. So we have this number line, and you have it on your uh, workbook as well. So number line, we have zero, we have negative 10, and then positive 10. And so you got two, two ends of the, the number line, a positive side, a negative side. So if you put this in maybe the scheme of like eternity, people that you'd come in contact with, let's just say like negative 10 is like, um, and you could put this on here, like if someone is at a negative 10, they're like, uh, like Satan's little helper, okay? Like they are on the negative side of things. And a positive 10 is like your Billy Graham's mentor, okay? Got Billy Graham over here. And then the, the zero part of the, of the spectrum would probably be something like what we'd say would be like the moment of salvation. Like you have someone that once they cross from that negative to the positive, does that make sense? That's salvation. They, they meet Christ, and then they're on that, that positive side of things again. And so you'll meet people across the spectrum. They could be coworkers, family members, anywhere within here at all. And I don't think it's necessarily healthy to, like, do what the disciples did and try and put ourselves on, you know, who's closer to Billy Graham's mentor. Um, but say you encounter someone that's, like, at a negative five, it could be a big leak to get them there. Like, if your goal is to get them saved, that's high stakes, right? If, you're, if your goal is to, to prove them wrong so much so that, like, we, we get them saved. Now, obviously, that, that's something we can pray for. We want people to, to be saved. We want people to, to meet Jesus. But I would just submit that any interaction that we have with anybody, no matter where they're at on this whole thing, even, even if they're over here, is, is if we can just get them one step closer to Jesus, that's a win. One step. That doesn't mean we have to win the argument. That doesn't mean that we have to, to prove all of their objections or their fears or their worries invalid or wrong. We just want to represent Christ well. Sometimes that looks like talking to someone, telling them that you're a Christian, and they just completely spit in your face, and they walk away. And you just say, thank you. Sorry for your, like, thank you for your time. And that's all it is. And maybe that's the, the first interaction they had with a Christian that was ever somewhat positive. It gets them, if it gets them one step closer, even a little bit more, that's the goal here. That's what we're trying to go for. A resource that I used pretty heavily for this one is a newer book that uh, was brought to me. Dale, if you're listening to, it, to me on, on the podcast, this is, thank you for this, but it's a book called Tactics by uh, Gregory uh, Kokel, um, and the, the forward is by Lee Strobel, but this book was really good in talking about just how to have conversations about your faith. He says this in the book about his motive or goal in conversations. He says, all I want to do is put a stone in someone's shoe. I want to give that person something worth thinking about, something they can't ignore, like a stone in your shoe. You can't ignore it. It's to it can continue to bug you. They can't ignore because it continues to poke them, but in a good way. That's what we want to try and do. Give them something worth thinking about. 
That's my goal tonight is that we can start to learn like maybe it's just through our own story or through biblical knowledge or hopefully just through God speaking through us. We can give somebody worth something worth thinking about. So I want to jump into the first part of this um, is going to be learning what other religions believe. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. That's a, that when you read that verse, do you almost feel a little bit of pressure there? Kind of, it's telling you that you need to live wisely and say the right things. That's a tall order. It's a tall order, especially when you think about what it takes to even control the tongue, even control what you say. But the truth is, like, if we, if we live wisely around, especially those who don't know Jesus, this could happen without even having a conversation, without even having a conversation. So that by the time they're just seeing the way we live, by the time that they talk to us, they have already walked a path to where they're ready. They're finally curious, curious enough to, to have that conversation. And, I, and I've done plenty of street evangelism where I'm just walking up to people straight up with like, would you, would you like to hear about Jesus and what he did for you? And I've honestly, I've shared the gospel and had people like receive the gospel in those moments. But times I've already had favor with someone that I've shared the gospel with. It's not only more, I'm not only more confident going into that because I have favor with that person, but it's almost sweeter too. Because like I, I know their history, they know mine, and it's, it's like this journey together. So I'm just, I say that to say every conversation you have doesn't have to be the one and only conversation. Like, listen to the Lord through all that. So let's jump into what other religions believe. Now, as we go through these, I picked out three that were on my heart that we commonly would see in the valley. So I took the LDS church or Mormonism, atheism, and I put agnostic and atheist together because they're pretty similar. And then I also, we're gonna go through Catholicism. Now, Catholicism, we're, we'll get there, but I, I just want you to like preface all this with, we are gonna, we're trying to tackle all this in like 40 minutes, so I give you enough time, okay? So there's gonna be some things that we're gonna skip over in the study guide, read through it, and there's also gonna be, there's a lot of stuff I didn't put in here. So there's resources here. Like this whole book is what we, we really, um, un, Mormonism Unmasked is such a great resource uh, for the LDS church. This is an entire book on just that. And I'm trying to pull a little bit out of it. So just know that going in, um, all these different resources will be up here for you guys to take a look at as well. But I want to jump into the LDS church, kind of their basic beliefs and background. And then uh, at the end of this, we're going to go through, okay, now that we know what some of these religions actually believe, what what do we say in response to that? Like actually knowing the background here. So jumping into LDS, um, whenever I'm talking with someone that has that background, and also another little preface, as we're talking tonight, just know like everything I'm pulling for from for all of these belief systems is like from their doctrine and from like what they've set up. Don't take anything as a personal attack on like you, your family, or your background. That's not our intention here. But I do believe that's probably what Satan's going to want you to try and think or want anybody to try and think. Um, and so just know that, like, the enemy's out to steal, kill, destroy. He wants to divide. He wants to try and, like, split stuff, split 
people apart and things like that. Don't let them. Don't let them in this. All right, the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, LDS, Mormons. Um, I like to use an illustration when you think about, um, because most conversations that you'll have, like when you listen to to Mormons talk, their beliefs sound honestly kind of normal. I remember being in a conversation in the mall with someone that's LDS, and I was in a conversation for 15 minutes with that person before I was like, do you go to a church? Because I couldn't figure out like where they were coming from with their answers on all these questions. And they said LDS, and I was like, oh, okay, now, now I know exactly where, where I'm at. Because they, they can sound kind of normal. But when you lay them next to like Christian belief, like all their beliefs, you can see how different they are. I like to equate it with American football and then like worldwide football. It's the same name. But when you put the rule books next to each other and you see the game played, they are vastly different, vastly different. That's really how it feels when you're talking to someone with a Mormon background or you're talking to someone who's a practicing in the LDS church. It's just like, it's vastly, vastly different. So this is what some of their basic beliefs are. Um, all of this stuff that I have written on mine is exactly, I, I didn't want to spare anything. I have it written on the study guides as well. So um, polytheism, Mormons believe that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are three different gods. So it's a belief in multiple gods. This is contrary, obviously, to the, con- the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, which says that God is one being with three distinct, distinct revealed personalities. So the Trinity being the three in one, Mormons believe that those are all separate gods. Now, as we're going through all these, in the back of your mind, I want you to think about this. So take this as an example. The Mormons have a belief in many gods. We have a belief in one. As we go through each and every one of these things, think about what, what your, your belief system, like the Christian belief system, the biblical belief system is for each of these topics, if that makes sense. So next, we're talking about like the humanness of God. Just that statement, does that stand in your mind as something that's biblical. You should, like, these things should start be popping out to you. And if they're not, because you don't feel like you have a good biblical background, don't sweat that. That's a place where you could get to grow. And it's a place that through group discussion, hopefully you're gonna be able to, oh, okay, now I can see where that is. I can see where that is. But just have that in the back of your mind as you're going through this, because when you're talking to someone and now you know these things, you have these places of like scripture and firmness to stand in your own life too. All right, so basic beliefs for Mormons, they believe in the, in the humanness of God. So Mormons believe that God was once a physical person. They believe that right now, God has one or more wives in heaven as well. They believe in the humanness of Jesus, that Jesus was once a man who became God. He was, he was only a physical man, not like God the Son or the Son of God. While he was on earth, Jesus was not the result of a spiritual act of the Holy Spirit in Mary's life. He was a result of Mary and Joseph sleeping together. That's what their doctrine says. Also believes in the divinity of man. So Mormons believe that each man who is worthy, that's key, who is worthy, living on earth will one day be the God of their own planet. They believe that each woman will one day live on the planet of which her husband is the God, uh, if their husband will call them by a special name from heaven. This is stuff I'm making up. Yeah, all of a sudden, like if you didn't know this stuff, it's like, what? Because when you talk to someone who's LDS or has that background, it sounds just like what, what, what you believe. But when you get down to it and you lay these next to each other, it's vastly different. 
It's vastly different. For those of you that were in the Spiritual, spiritual Warfare 1.0 seminar, um, Tim went through a lot of this, and there's a lot of spiritual components that come down, honestly, with any other religion than Christianity. You can kind of guarantee that Satan has his hand in that stuff because that's leading people astray. So there's some spiritual components to these things as well. What Mormons believe in the afterlife? Only those who are proven worthy, so that's a works-based um, way to the afterlife, only those who are proven worthy receive their own planet to inhabit. There are three degrees of heaven that one could obtain depending on their worthiness. There's no hell in the traditional sense. However, there is spirit prison hell that is a temporary state. You can, you can see a resemblance to purgatory there um, if you're comparing this to Catholicism. Um, spirit children in the afterlife. So a husband and wife will have the chance to have spirit children together after they're dead. Pre-existence, this is a big one um, that can come up in discussion. Mormons believe that before babies come to earth, they exist in heaven, and while they're in heaven, they're learning things, so prior knowledge. The sacred text, this is a big key thing that most other religions have. They have some type of a sacred text that they follow. Sacred text, the Mormons say they follow the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenant, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. If you read the background of the Mormon Church, I don't, we just don't have enough time to read the background in this, but in your study guides, you can read that on your own later. Um, it talks a little bit about how Joseph Smith received the, um, in quotes, revelation of the Book of Mormon. Race, this is a big one that um, has been more recently changed in their doctrine, which is another thing that you can look at the Mormon church, that they change their dogma and doctrine depending on the culture, which it, it, that's not biblical either. Obviously, the sacred text isn't biblical. Um, there's multiple verses, but the primary one being in Revelations that you are not to add anything or take away anything of what the Holy Bible is. But race, Mormons believe that African-Americans are the descendants of Ham, which is Noah's son, and that they are black because their ancestors sinned and were cursed by God. That was only recently removed from their doctrine in the last 30 years or so. And that's also depending on what like, uh, temple is in their region. Um, that also dictates a little bit of like the regional dogma or doctrine that where they operate from. You guys have probably noticed that there is a temple being built here in town um, at the moment, too, which is, uh, the, honestly, that's, real, that's pretty tough. Polygamy, this is one that I think we all know about. Uh, after governmental intervention, the church officially changed its position on polygamy and said that its members can't marry more than one person. However, there are still more than 25,000 marriages in Utah that are polygamous. Um, that, was, that number was taken in 2002. I don't know what it looks like now. I, don't, I honestly don't know if that has grown or gone down. Um, but my resource is from 2002, which says how dated it is, but it's still really, really good stuff. Um, worship services in the Mormon church. Worship services are held in either a branch or a ward. The temple is reserved only for the worthy Mormon who has received a temple recommend from his or her bishop. Mormon's worship services are reverent and silent upon entering the church building. You won't hear music um, or Pretty much you just hear whispering. There are no loud musical instruments. Something else in 
like the, the temples specifically, there's a ceremony where once you are considered a worthy Mormon to go into the temple and experience services within there, you do a ceremony of secrecy. So you're not allowed to talk even to other Mormons about what you learned or heard in there as well. Um, the book Mormon Unmasked, Mormonism Unmasked is written from someone who found faith in Jesus after being in the Mormon church for a long time. And so that's where the um, majority of this stuff comes from. There's sacraments there as well, baptism. Um, they believe that it's a must for salvation. They also believe that baptism, you can do that for someone who is um, already passed away, that you can be baptized in proxy for them to be saved. So baptism for the dead is something they do. They also do um, the Lord's Supper. It's done weekly for those who are worthy again. You need to be eight years or older. So those are some of the basic beliefs. Hopefully as you hear those, you can start to think about how, like what your beliefs are on those things. And as you're thinking about this stuff, like be writing some questions down. What do we believe here at the church about baptism? If you don't know that, write that question down. That's something that we can dig into later in discussion. And that, honestly, I want as many questions as you feel led to ask uh, me during the weeks if you don't get the answers within your discussion groups either. And I'll be bouncing around the room after this. But All right, I'm going to move on to um, agnostic and atheist beliefs. I know we just bl like blew through Mormonism. And I, I guess I will mention, too, that Mormonism is absolutely considered a cult. It's not a denomination of Christianity. It's not a, a form of the church at any level. It is absolutely a cult and um, is something that I believe the enemy uses actively to try and lead people away. Again, if, if this is something that like, is touching your family, hear my heart in this. God loves every single person on the planet, no matter their background or their belief system at this moment. Jesus still died for them. There's still hope. And there's, still, there's always um, room for God to redeem, to save, to, to love. And so just hear my heart in that too. Um, I'm just giving you a history of what that is. Something else I'll say too, if, if, if one of these religions or belief systems like touches you personally, whether you personally had um, contact within there or family or friends or something like that, just know like this is what the, the system itself believes. Like there's so many Mormons that didn't, don't even know some of this stuff. They just, they haven't got to that level yet. So we can't go to a place of accusing them of believing like some ridiculous stuff when they never, they might never even heard of some of this stuff yet. And so, like, that's why it's important to see the person in front of you and not, like, the, that religion itself that's, like, there's still a human in front of you. Like, that, that's the person that we're trying to, like, again, just get one step closer to Jesus. So think about that stuff, too. All right, agnostic and atheist. I'm going to agnostic first. Um, agnostics believe that it's impossible for us to know if God exists. So they, they'll say something like, how could we know? It's too big, it's too vast, the universe is too, too wide to, to even, how could we possibly even understand or know? Um, it's, not like, it's not like they just haven't decided, they believe that we can never know. Within the agnostic philosophy, there are smaller groups of different kinds of agnostics. I won't get into all those, um, but honestly, as at least all of my interactions with both atheists and agnostics, you, you are really up to their interpretation of what truth is. So it could be anywhere within the realm of there is no God or there could be a God. And so it's hard to pin them down necessarily on like what they believe. We'll go into a little bit how to do that later. Um, so you might know someone who claims to be agnostic and this doesn't fit the bill. I, 
that wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. Agnostic believers, um, these are people who believe that God exists, but they say there's no way we can begin to know who this God is or what he's like. Agnostic atheists are people that are almost definitely sure that God does not exist. They'd never say, I'm sure that he doesn't exist, but they'd come close to saying that, but stop just short of it. And so that's kind of just two of the little um, threads within the agnostic. The background, uh, late 19th century, the scientist named Thomas Huxley, Huxley, he first coined the term agnosis uh, in his search to prove that there probably wasn't a higher power. They do not have any sort of like sacred text that they follow. It's mainly an ideology that they um, come to adopt. Atheist basic beliefs. So again, agnostic is how could we even know if there's a God? Atheists are pretty firm on there is no God. Atheists don't believe in anything supernatural. God, devil, heaven, hell. They only believe in the world, what they can see, taste, touch, feel. That's like the senses. That's what they believe in. Um, The afterlife, atheists believe that after you die, you just stop existing. That's all it is. There's no reincarnation or anything like that. If they're holding to atheistic beliefs. One of the things that you think about when it comes to atheists is like, where do they get their morals from? Like most religions, morals come down from something divine at some level, like how you live your life comes from enlightenment, comes from something beyond us. Morals and atheistic beliefs, they believe that morals come from humanity, not from any religious code. They rely on communities to come up with their own moral code. This is another way of saying they're coming up with their own truth. Science is the big thing that they um, stand on. Evidence about the world and the universe is to be gained through science. They promote science and seek to aid it in any way possible because science cannot prove the existence of God, which that's not true necessarily. I think there's plenty of science now that's proving the existence of some type of a grand designer, at least. Most scientists will start to um, be in that realm uh, or or at least be open to that um, kind of thought process at some level. Freedom from religion, this is something that atheists believe, um, that religion imposes too many restrictions on humanity. Since they're all about freedom, atheists not only reject the concept of God, but they also want to get rid of organized religion. Their view of eternity, they believe that the cosmos are all there is, that the cosmos themselves are eternal and self-sustaining. They believe that man does not have an immortal soul. Good and evil, they think evil is just reality. It's a necessary part of human evolution but they do not know how to deal with it. The background, um, atheism has been around since ancient Greece, believe it or not, of people that were trying to like fight against um, the belief in many gods. But 50 50 years or so ago, there's a group called the American Atheists that was founded. They fought hard and won to get prayer out of schools. And they've continued to do things like getting, trying to get like in God we trust out of money, off the money, but they they failed at that one. Um, But they paved the way for a lot of separation of church and state. There are nearly 2 million atheists in the USA, 250 million worldwide that are like firmly in that. So when it comes to some of the big things on this one that I think about when it comes to um, like their thought process and everything like that, a couple of different things that I, I'll point out to kind of taking down the idea that like, like if you take a agnostics, for instance, you've probably seen this illustration at some level, but you have, you know, a big blank piece of paper or something like that. And you say something like, all right, this whole board right here is, say this is just represents all of the knowledge about everything, all of the knowledge in the whole world. And so like, 
if this is all of the knowledge, this right here, this dot right here is, say it's uh, like brain surgery. My handwriting is wonderful, brain surgery. And, and this one right here is um, just football, either one, okay? Uh, and, then, and then this over here is, um, you know, maybe something like another profession, maybe it's um, like aviation, and maybe this one is just like TikTok, okay? <laughs> a lot of people know more about TikTok than I do. I don't have one. I don't know what to, how to TikTok. But um, this is all the knowledge. So you basically say something, do you, all right, so there's, there's no way that like, if, if this person knows everything there is to know about brain surgery, we could probably say they, don't, they also don't know everything there is to know about aviation. Though there's some doctors that are pilots, maybe. But you probably can't say they know everything about, like, I mean, think about all the different specifics, your trade, um, language, talking about other cultures, like creation, like all this different stuff. There's no one that could know all that stuff. And so you would, at this point, I would say, so honestly, for me, like if I were to say something that I'm like, and I don't, I don't necessarily think I, I'm an expert in anything, but I could probably say I know a, a fair bit about the Bible. Maybe my dot should be a bit smaller than, you know, like the brain surgeon's dot. Um, but like, I, I know a decent amount about the Bible. I think I can kind of hold my own there. I could hand the pen to them and be like, how much of all the knowledge in all of the world, like how big is the dot that you like maybe possess? And, you know, maybe they, 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 they just throw a little dot in there. And at that point, I go like, so do you think it's possible then that because of all this knowledge, that there might be a dot in here that says God, and that it's just you just, don't, you just don't know about him yet. Do you think that's a possibility? If there's all this knowledge out here that you don't know about, do you think God could fit inside that still? Generally, you'll get somebody to go, okay, I could probably accept that. that maybe there's a God I just don't, don't know yet. So if someone's agnostic, they're like, um, may, like, how could we know if there's even a God? You generally get them to accept that there could be, there could be a God through that. For the, the atheist to say there is no God and be firm about that, there's a very simple illustration that I use um, pretty consistently. And so there's a, there's a guy I went to high school with. Um, it'd be funny if one of you like knows him or not. You know, it's like small world stuff, but like, his name was Tim Peters. He's a catcher on my uh, team uh, with me, and I played sports with him, like, all growing up. Uh, Tim Peters. Does anybody know Tim Peters from, from Eagle, Gypsum, Colorado? Anybody? Because you don't know him, does that mean he does not exist? Does that, does that mean he doesn't exist if you don't know him? No. I can stand here firmly from my experience and say, I know, I know God. I know him. Does that mean he doesn't exist? Just because you don't know him doesn't mean he doesn't exist. And right there is like a key point is that like my experience and my story can't necessarily be argued with. Someone could just not believe me, which I get. At that point, I'd probably say they're just not teachable if they're just not gonna believe anything I say. But if they actually start to like hear my story at some level, and if they're willing to hear what God has done in my life and done for me, we're, we're now on some common ground, if that makes sense. I'm just like, no, I actually, but I know him. And so those are, the, those are some of the, the thought processes I start with when it comes to um, like some atheistic beliefs and agnostic beliefs. 
And honestly, when you get to that point with someone in, in one of those thought systems, some people are very well trained in the apologetics on the other side of things too and being willing to like really gut um, contra- contradictory verses and things like that, the Bible and all that stuff. This will fall short on most of those people that have some, some of those big um, things rehearsed at some level. But at the same level, I got more experience <laughs> with God in, in, in my story too that I'll meet them where they're at. But for the most part, that definitely does it. And honestly, through a lot of my um, time, like eight years in youth ministry, a lot of people are just like, I'm agnostic because that's like the popular view or that's something that one of the people they follow on YouTube is, says that they are. When in reality, I'm just like, they're just basing it on somebody else's because they think that sounds attractive. And that's so true when it comes to um, like especially younger ages, um, teens, 20s, like things like that where they actually don't have solid belief systems within what they're claiming to be. And it's really healthy to get in conversations with them and, and, and kind of challenge, like, well, where'd, where'd you come up with that sort of stuff? We'll talk about that in a second. But um, that, those are the two things that I kind of lean on when I'm talking to somebody if they're, if they're claiming to be atheist or agnostic at some level. All right, let's move into Catholicism. I know this is something that's going to like touch a lot of different um, portions, and this is honestly the biggest um, part of the study guide. We're going to breeze over a few things, because I think a lot of us are familiar with it, but there are some key points in here I want to make sure that we see that it's not exactly the same um, as Christianity. Now, I will say, I 100% believe that we are going to see Catholics in heaven. I think that having a relationship with Jesus is something that is within the Catholic Church, the people that like for sure do that. And especially if you read like 16th, 17th, 18th century Catholic writers, you were like, oh my gosh, they are so close to God. Like there's some wonderful, and some of the liturgy when it was written is beautiful. It is honestly beautiful. And you're just like, how could that not come out of relationship with Jesus? And so hear my heart in that. Like I absolutely 100% know that there are people that are like follow the Catholic Church all their life that we'll see in heaven. For sure. I think when they get there and, and jail point us out to me, she has a very large Catholic background in, in her personal life too. She's like, I bet some people just get there and be surprised. <laughs> they did a lot of stuff they didn't have to do, um, but they'll still be there, which is um, encouraging too. All right, basic beliefs, Catholicism. Uh, it's the same God that Christians believe, uh, God, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. That's a common belief system within the Catholic Church. Many Catholics go through confirmation um, through confirmation is one of the sacraments. A common thing within confirmation is to end up in a relationship with Jesus, trusting him as Lord and Savior of your life. Um, little side note in there. Salvation and afterlife in Catholicism, this is something that um, with the afterlife is a little bit different for sure. Salvation is obtained not only through faith alone, but by following the tradition or sacraments set by the Catholic Church. And those sacraments have changed. Um, like in the Dark Ages, in the Crusade era, you could pay your way into heaven. That was part of the Catholic doctrine, that if you gave a big enough offering that the Pope or the um, priests would then forgive your sins um, enough to where you'd be able to be into heaven on an offering. That's changed since. But um, what I want to stress here is salvation is through works as well um, as faith. And so it's kind of um, dual fold there. It's work-based salvation. Catholics also believe in the same heaven and eternity, but they've added some theology and belief system to that. They believe that once someone passes away, they first visit a place called purgatory. 
This is a place of discomfort where you, um, you sever unholy ties before you move into heaven. Um, I listened to uh, a Catholic priest describe purgatory, and he described it as like, if you get into heaven, like once you die, if you have a relationship with Jesus, like through faith, you're able to get into heaven. But when you get to the front door, what if you look down and you see, oh, my clothes are really dirty. I want to I kind of clean myself up before I go in there. I could go in there, but I want to I take a step back first and sever some ties to my old self still after death. And you do that through uh, worthiness and works in purgatory before you're, you're cleaned up enough to go in. That's how he described it, um, in which I'm just like, Jesus will roll out the, probably a wardrobe of some kind, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's just one of those things that, and I don't mean to just make fun of it, I don't, but like, it's one of those things that when you, when you compare that to the Bible, purgatory is mentioned nowhere in the Bible at all. Um, and, and Paul talks about us getting new bodies um, when we get to heaven. And um, there's, just, there's so much scripture out there on that stuff. But that's one major theme. The Bible itself is also something else that's different from Christianity. The Catholic Bible has extra books added to the historical Bible that are not considered canon. This is known as the Apocrypha. These books are considered part of the Old Testament by the Catholic Church, but have a, have a list of historical errors and errors in theology within them. Many Christian circles still consider these books a good historical significance, but make a firm stand that they in themselves are not the word of God. So if you have a Bible with some extra um, books in it, in between Malachi and um, Matthew, then you need to take a look at that. It could be seven, it could be 12, depending on what apocryphal um, book you have. But books like the Maccabees, is, they're historical. It's, it's what happened in between like the 400 years um, from Malachi to the New Testament. And so, so I think that it's something that if you wanted to read those things, I'm not going to tell you not to, but I'm going to say you should armor up and you should know your Bible before you jump into those. Like know your Bible first um, and look at those books as historical books. Like you're look, looking at a historical textbook opposed to it is, not, it is for sure not the word of God. But that's the Apocrypha. That's the, the Catholic Bible. The saints are another big thing um, in how they are different from us. Um, Catholics pray to God, but they also request that the saints pray for them too. Now, if you talk to the Catholic church themselves, they're going to say, we don't, we're not praying to them, even though that's how a lot of Catholicism takes it, that you pray to the saint and you don't pray to, to God himself, um, that the saints are in the presence of God and they pray for the people. This just easily leads to idol worship um, and to idolizing the saints to where you have figurines um, and it, it can just get crazy. I, want, I don't want to keep going into this stuff. Um, Pastor Tim goes into a lot of this stuff within not only spiritual warfare, but also signs as well um, in, in that stuff. But leads to idol worship. You don't need to pray to a saint. You can pray straight to God. Jesus gave us that access. Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is something that also is super different. Um, Jesus' mom gets a place of reverence and devotion within the Catholic Church. She's believed to be a little lower than Jesus and just a little higher than the saints. They also believe in immaculate conception, which is the belief that Mary was sinless at her conception and did not need to be saved by the work of her son, which is not scriptural either, that Jesus was the only human because he was all God that was perfect. That was perfect. Um, this also leads to idol worship of Mary as well. The figurehead of the Catholic Church, if you would say, who would you say the figurehead of Christianity is? 
That's right, the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Jesus is our figurehead, 100%. He's the way, the truth, and life. The figurehead for the Catholic Church is the Pope. It started with Peter. He was considered the first Pope, and it went on from there, meaning like there's a succession from Peter um, to what our Pope is now, not by blood, but that succession line is there. The Pope is believed to forgive sin, speak for God, and change doctrine and religious dogma. That the word from the Pope would be considered the word of God, which is kind of crazy, kind of crazy. Um, I'm not going to get into all the sacraments because we just don't have time, but these sacraments are traditions. Many Catholics believe that they're, they're what you need to be saved. You need to like, do a lot of these things to be able to gain enough like, worthiness to be saved or to have less to do in purgatory, like if you like, do all these different things. So baptism, um, most of these have a, a slight different meaning than what they do biblically in Christianity, but a lot of them are still pretty firm, firmly based in the Bible. There's no other sacred text that the Catholic Church will say that this is as, as high as the Bible, though they do say that anything that comes from the Catholic Church um, I'll read it. It's at the end of authority. This is from the First Vatican Council. It says, it's not, it is not from sacred scripture alone that the Roman Catholic Church draws her certainty about everything which has been revealed, but sacred, in quotes, tradition, in its full purity, God's word, which was entrusted to the apostles. So basically it's saying that like the word of the church is higher than scripture or can be as high as scripture at some level. In the Catholic Catechism, which is a little book you get in confirmation, uh, if you have a Lutheran background, there's a Lutheran Catechism as well. But um, Catholicism says, the Catholic Catechism says, the church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone, but both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. It's not biblical. Like, the Bible is all you need. That is the sacred text. So that's why it's a little bit different. Um, the background of the Catholic Church, I, didn't, I couldn't even try and get it in here. Um, but if you are curious about some of that stuff, um, Religions A to Z is another great resource. This is my favorite, Why So Many Gods, not in print anymore. So you can take a look at it, but you can't take it. Um, and then Christianity, Cults, and Religions, it's amazing on some of that stuff too. But honestly, you can find so much stuff on Catholicism and Christianity. Just be careful what, you, what the resource is. If you find anything in our bookstore, we vetted that out. All right, so I'm going to quickly jump into a few different things that we need to think about before we're having a conversation. Hopefully during this time so far, as you've learned about some different religions, did you guys learn some stuff that you didn't know about one of these things at some level? So now it's like, okay, if someone comes or... or you know, into a conversation with you, or you have people in your family, friends, coworkers that have some of these ideologies or religious backgrounds, you know, you know what they believe, or at least what they're trying to teach them. Now it's up to you to like, can you articulate what you believe? But can you? And if that is, feels so heavy, just know that's okay. I think that we've all been there. And hopefully through this, you'll be able to start to realize what your faith means to you as well. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. When you're in a apologetics conversation where you're trying to defend your faith, your flesh will want you to lean on your own understanding of what you read in your Bible and what you think. It does not have to be that way. 
The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He wants to speak through you. He does. And he will give you words to say. There are time and time again in Scripture where the Holy Spirit, especially in the book of Acts, came through for the apostles, came through for Paul, and just spoke through him. For Stephen in Acts 7, is beautiful. Don't worry about it. Like that's, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Don't worry about it. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're chasing him, he will give you the words to say. And studying and learning more about God is part of that for sure. But like, just absorb that stuff. Absorb what the Holy Spirit is speaking. Lean on his understanding, not your own. God always leads through peace. Even when it's tough, the path he will lead you down is still peace. It's a path of peace. It might take a lot of faith to walk the path of peace. For Abraham to walk his son up the mountain, that took faith. It did. It took faith, but he was able to do it. It takes a lot of faith to walk the path of peace. So no, if you feel pressure, it's not from God. If you, if you feel pressured, it's, that's from the enemy, especially in conversations like this. So know that God leads through peace. Pray for that. All right, so here's a few things to remember when you enter in a conversation about your faith. Before the conversation, probably a good idea to pray. Pray about it. And this could be like now. Like you know somebody that maybe you might have a conversation one day. Pray about it. Pray about what to say at the right time. Pray for that person. The enemy deals in pressure. Don't, don't let that pressure be there. The stakes are high. You're defending your faith. But the pressure should be off. So pray. I know that's, that one's easy. Number two, before the conversation, ask yourself, is this person teachable or not? And honestly, that's something I ask myself the whole conversation. Because if I'm talking to somebody and they're not teachable, what am I doing? It's not, for, it's not my power at work. It's God that saves everybody who believes, right? And so if they're not teachable, if they have a hardened heart, Hebrews, like, within the first three chapters says, like, four times, don't harden your hearts. Like, if they have a hardened heart, then I can't do anything with that. So I'm, I'm just going to, like, politely and pleasantly, like, try and just, like, I'm not, I'm not going to try and put the pressure on that person. And if they're just all they're out, out there to do is prove me wrong, they're not going to listen anyway. And so are they teachable? If they're not teachable, it's not for you. It's just how it is. Um, during the conversation, make sure the, le- the, the playing field is level. Make sure you guys are on the same spot. This is what I mean by that. Um, I want to read a snidbit out of tactics real quick. Man, I always run long. I just long-winded. I love this example of loving, leveling the playing field here. All right. This is a snippet out of Texas. My friend had the maturity to know you can't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. Her difficulty was that her boss wanted to know what she thought about homosexuality. That seems like it'd be a little awkward. If you're placed in a situation in which you suspect your convictions will be labeled intolerant, bigoted, narrow-minded, or judgmental, you've got to be able to turn the tables and level the playing field. When someone asks for your personal views about a controversial issue, that seems like it's every day if you put, turn on the news or Facebook or anything, right? Preface your remarks with a question that sets the stage and levels the playing field to level the playing field in your favor. Here's how I suggest my friend answer the disconcerting request made by her employer. So this guy's friend, employer, wants to know her thoughts on homosexuality. This is what he advised her to say in response to that. You know, this is actually a very personal question you're asking. I don't mind answering, but before I do, I want to know if it's safe to offer my views. So let me ask you this question first. Do you consider yourself a tolerant person or an intolerant person on issues like this? 
Is it safe to give my opinion? Are you going to judge me from my point of view? Do you respect my diverse points of view or do you condemn others for having convictions that differ from your own? So you see, like, at first that was a loaded question. What are your thoughts on homosexuality? And I'm telling you, I get that once a week and just a phone call in my office. And I'm like, and they're looking for, like, a, a firm stance that's a loaded question and doesn't feel like the playing field is level. Like, we're on the same, the same thing at all. Feels like I'm, all the pressure's on me, all that stuff. So this is what he's talking about. So you see what I'm doing? Of course, I'm leveraging the other person's values in my favor. See, regardless of how inconsistent the politically correct crowd often is, they will strongly affirm their tolerant values when asked. If you set the stage for your conversation in this way, then when you give your point of view, it's going to be difficult for anyone to call you intolerant, judgmental, or without looking guilty to you. Does that make sense? So if you're just like, is this a safe place to answer this question? Because if, if you will, will be tolerant of my, my personal views and you're not going to judge me for them, I'll answer the question. And so when you answer it biblically, then all of a sudden, like, their, their views support your, your view too because they're not going to stand there in judgment and try and, like, it, it becomes like an interactive conversation after that point. Does that make sense? So, like, if that conversation starts a little bit hefty, um, you're feeling some of that pressure, whatever it is, make sure the playing field is level first. That's one way to do that. Another thing to think about in these conversations is to gather information. Don't assume their beliefs. Hear their story. Ask them what they believe. They may have, they say they grow up in the Mormon church, but really they actually went there like a few times as a kid. They don't really remember much, but they would still consider themselves Mormon because they think that's what Christianity and, and that's the same. But if you don't hear their story first, I mean, you could blast them. <laughs> you could blast them with all these things and all they're hearing is, I'm not a good person and I'm wrong for, for thinking I'm a Mormon. See the person in front of you is what I'm saying. Like, so just gather information, hear their story, hear where they're coming from. Jesus heard people's stories. He saw the person in front of them. And so when we're in a conversation like this, like, just know, like, what is love saying here? What is God saying in the, in the moment? Gather that information. So the best first question that I would ask when I'm gathering information, if they're explaining some of their beliefs, I'd ask, what do you mean by that? Simple question. Getting them to start to articulate their belief system. What do you mean by that? This question is a great opener because it engages whoever you're talking with in an interactive way. This will most likely reveal other information that you wouldn't have learned without first asking the question. What do you mean by that? It'll force clarity and force them to start to like articulate some sort of a system of belief. So asking clarifying questions like that. I love in a conversation trying to put more question marks on the end of my sentences than periods or especially exclamation points. Ask more questions. You'll hear more of their story, more of their heart behind things. All right, fifth thing, don't carry the burden of proof. If you start to feel this like pressure of like, I need to prove myself, that's pressure. And I don't think, I think that's a, a tactic, of, especially when you get in some conversations with some intellectual people, they're going to try and make you carry that burden of like, I'm having to defend myself, like defend my life. I need to, I'm trying to prove these things. Don't carry that burden of proof. The idea that you have to end up proving that you are right comes with a lot of pressure. Remember, this is not our goal to prove them wrong. It's our goal to get them to understand that Jesus is right. That's all it is. 
So give God room to be right in their life. Don't carry that burden. If they're making you feel pressure, uh, then it's appropriate to place that pressure back on them. Don't carry it. The easiest way to do this is to ask, how did you come to that conclusion? Something like that. Like, why, why, why do you say that? What makes you think it happened that way? So if they're, if they're trying to like get you to prove why evolution is wrong or right or whatever it is, right? Like, well, what makes you think, tell me about what, why, why you're drawing those conclusions. And then you're placing the burden of proof on them. Does that make sense? And then through that interaction, now you're back on that level playing field. So don't carry that burden of proof. The last thing I want to end with, share your story. Your story matters. And at the end of the day, no one can argue what happened to you. It's your story. It's what happened to you. And so when you can back up what the Bible says with what happened to you, no one can argue against that. They can't. You tell your salvation experience. They can just not believe you, which would tell me they're not teachable, or they're like, huh, and they get, well, it's gone now, but they can get one step closer to Jesus through maybe just your own story. So as we jump into the discussion questions, there's a spot in there. If you have the time, I would suggest you pair up and try and role play a little bit of, of some of those questions in there. If you, know, you don't have as much time, because I know this was just a longer thing, um, I would really challenge you to like think about your own story in regards and in your own belief system in regards to some of these things. So the first couple questions in there, if you want to skip those and go straight to um, your like the role play stuff because you have people in the room and you want to answer some of the stuff on your own. The big thing I'll say is your challenge for this week is to like think about your own story in regard to your belief system now. Because no matter where you're at in your Bible knowledge, you have a story still. No matter where you're at in your prayer life, in whatever it is, like if you've met Jesus, you have a story to tell. You do. And so Paul's, Paul tells his testimony in Acts 26 and it's like, perfect. It's beautiful. It's the before the how now method. So it's before he met Christ, how he met Christ, and now how he's been since he's known Christ as Savior. And that is how we can, we all have that story. Even if the before you met Christ was like from ages one to seven, that's okay. That's your story. It's not making it invalid. But you remember your salvation moment long ago or whatever it is. And then maybe you your, your time that since you've met Christ is maybe, maybe that's shorter. Maybe you accepted Christ just earlier this year. That's okay. You get, you get all this testimony of like who I was before that or how you met Christ. For Paul, he met him on the road. Jesus appeared to him, said, why are you persecuting me, right? You have that same story. So I would challenge you to like actually write down how you would articulate your story to someone who fits one of these bills. And think about if there's someone in your life that has a background like this, start praying for them. Start asking for opportunity there. And so hopefully some of this stuff has helped you. I really felt led to like just say, this is what some other religions believe. Um, the first week of this course is the whole gospel. And there is so much truth in that week. <laughs> so like if you want to know like what the good news is, how to get to heaven, all that stuff's in week one of this course. You can re listen to it again um, if you didn't hear that. But what you believe matters. So let's jump into our discussion questions. My challenge to you this week, write your testimony out. Um, and if you're bold enough, write it out and email it to me because I love, love hearing people's stories. I do.